Hello, Crime Lab. I'm your host, Jessica Garcia. Welcome, welcome, welcome back for another episode of Crime Lab. I'm so excited to be here. In today's episode of Crime Lab, the stories of a group of women in rural Louisiana who were brutally killed between the years of 2005 and 2009. While authorities are adamant that they were victims of a serial killer, an explosive investigation instead revealed that the killings had been an elaborate police cover-up that continue to this day. Today, I want to talk about the Jeff Davis 8. The city of Jennings in Louisiana is known for its rampant crime scene, thanks in part to the stark divide that exists between its affluent residents and those mired in poverty. Its streets are filled with prostitution and drug deals, both which are actually supported and even encouraged by local law enforcement. All of this came to light in 2016 when a book written by investigative journalist Ethan Brown made several allegations, each one more controversial and more damning than the last. Located near beautiful Lake Charles, Jennings, Louisiana has a population of roughly 10,000, which makes it one of the least populated places in the state. Interesting enough, it's divided into two by railroad tracks, with one side home to the city's more affluent residents, while the impoverished stuck to the other side of the railroad tracks. Jennings is regarded as a relatively sleepy and unassuming place. However, this piece was rocked in the early 2000s when the bodies of several sex workers were found in swamps, canals, and other bodies of water surrounding Jennings, Louisiana. It began on May 20th, 2005, when a local named Jerry Jackson was about to cast a line into a muddy rush of water located on the outskirts of the city. Rather than fish, though, he instead came across a lifeless body, which prompted him to call 911 immediately. According to him, quote, It had come up on the news that someone had some mannequins. So I thought that one of the mannequins ended up in the water somehow. I saw flies, and mannequins don't attract flies, end quote. The decomposed body belonged to Loretta Lewis, a 28-year-old woman from Jennings. Despite being married with two children, she was known as a prolific cocaine user who allegedly resorted to sex work to feed her debilitating addiction. 
Given the rumors that surrounded Lewis, the authorities were quick to write her death off as a drug deal gone wrong, especially since it was common and known to happen in that particular area. The local police started to grow nervous when less than a month later, on June 18th, another body was discovered lying in a waterway located approximately six miles from where Lewis had been uncovered. It took two months before the victim was identified. Bone samples finally revealed that she was 30-year-old Ernestine Marine Daniels, who was also another prostitute. Unlike Lewis, though, her throat had been slit. Even though the two women sported different injuries, their murders still sent a wave of panic across the city of Jennings. The local police department was inundated with calls asking whether there was a serial killer on the loose. This spurred them to arrest two male suspects on the suspicions of killing Daniels. While they were initially charged by the district attorney's office with second-degree murder, the case against them was ultimately dismissed, leaving the families of both victims heartbroken and searching for justice. Unfortunately, there was none to be had. With neither evidence nor new leads, the murder cases of Lewis and Daniels went cold. The residents of Jennings also quickly forgot about them. That is, until two years later, on March 18, 2007, when another body was fished out of the water. This time, the victim was 21-year-old Kristen Gary Lopez, who had been reported missing two days earlier. The medical examiner was unable to determine the exact cause of her death. However, traces of both drugs and alcohol were found in her system. It didn't take long for the death toll to increase even more. A mere two months later, on May 12, 2007, the body of 26-year-old Whitney Bois was discovered lying in a roadway somewhere between Bobby Road and Earl Dune Road. Like Lopez, the medical examiner failed to determine the exact cause of her death. The following year, in the wee hours of May 28, 2008, a police officer came across the corpse of 23-year-old Lakanoya Brown, whom everyone knew by her nickname Muggy. She had been doused with bleach and had her throat slit similar to Ernestine Daniels, who had been murdered three years earlier. A few months later, on September 11, 2008, the authorities again discovered the remains of a resident, 24-year-old Crystal Benoit, who was last seen by her co-workers at the Sonic Drive-In in Lake Arthur, Louisiana, on the afternoon of August 29th. By the time she was found in a wooded area near a canal, frequently used by hunters, her body was already badly decomposed, which rendered the medical examiner unable to identify the cause of her death. Two months later, on November 15th, searchers found the body of 17-year-old Brittany Ann Gary, who had just moved recently to Jennings from Texas. 
Sheehad was last seen on surveillance camera footage on the afternoon of November 2nd, with her mother reporting her missing the next day. Her remains were recovered from a roadside near Keystone Road, and after a short investigation, the cause of her death was ruled as asphyxiation. The last of the infamous Jeff Davis eight was 26-year-old Nicole Gillory, whose body was discovered on August 19, 2009, lying on an embankment at the I-10 westbound overpass at Plant Road. Similar to most of the other victims, she was found partially nude. And like Gary, she had apparently died from asphyxiation. The case sent shockwaves across the city of Jennings, which quickly reverberated throughout the entire state of Louisiana. This put a ton of pressure on the local authorities. But despite their best efforts, and given that the murders had been committed over the space of several years, they were left scratching their heads. Still, the eight women shared several similarities. For one thing, most of their bodies were badly decomposed when recovered. This suggested that they had been killed shortly after they went missing. Most of them, except for Brown and Daniels, sported no physical injuries, which was why many speculated that their deaths were the results of asphyxiation or suffocation. Later, it was revealed that the victims were loosely connected. For instance, Kristen Gary Lopez and Brittany Gary were cousins, while Shea Benoit lived together with Brittany for some time. To add to that, the brother-in-law of Loretta Lewis had also fathered a child with Whitney Bois, the fourth victim. Perhaps the most damning connection that they all shared, though, was the fact that they were literally from the wrong side of the tracks, living in the ghetto area of Jennings. They were also mired in poverty and mental illness, rendering them unable to hold down any type of stable job. Because of this, they had been forced to hustle the streets of Jennings for drugs and sex, with several of them known to have turned tricks at a cheap motel called the Boudreaux Inn, where the police regularly made drug-related arrests. It was this connection to the seedy underworld of Jennings that made the women the perfect individuals to provide local law enforcement with a steady flow of information. The city had a thriving informant culture in which the police frequently worked together with prostitutes and small-time drug dealers to catch the bigger and more dangerous criminals. However, there were several allegations that this relationship was anything but a true stick. According to an anonymous post published on the online Reddit community titled Unsolved Mysteries, quote, when I say drug dealers that works for the police, this is what I mean. The police in the area would make drug busts along the I-10 give the paraphernalia to specific drug dealers, let them sell it, and then receive profit in return. The cops took care of the dealers, and the dealers took care of the cops. End quote. Most of these claims surfaced much later, though, when an investigative reporter named Ethan Brown began digging around. 
ultimately revealing the shady things happening in Jennings and revealing the murder cases in his 2016 best-selling book, Murder in the Bayou. When Ethan Brown attempted to obtain confirmation that the victims were indeed police informants, Sheriff Ricky Edwards reportedly only stammered a non-denial, telling him that, quote, I wouldn't respond if they were informants. I would still continue to protect their anonymity. I don't know that that's the truth. I won't comment on it, end quote. Besides the allegations of police corruption, Brown also uncovered the many missteps that the authorities had made during the course of investigating the murders. For one thing, it was only after the seventh victim was found that a multi-agency investigative team was launched, made up of federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies. This task force worked under the assumption that the murders had been committed by a common offender, which immediately caused a swarm of national media to descend upon the city of Jennings. Not everyone agreed with this theory, though, mainly because the FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit had once determined that serial killings involved strangers who had no visible relationship whatsoever between the offender and the victims. In contrast to this, the eight women were somewhat connected, some by blood and some by acquaintances, but mostly because of the sex work that they engaged in, as well as the role that they played in the criminal underworld of Jennings. They were also associated with a 58-year-old former oil rig worker named Frankie Richard, who owned a strip club and was known to be one of the city's most prolific pimps. In an interview with journalist Ethan Brown, Richard said of the murdered woman that, quote, We shared something. When we were at the lowest point of our life and no one wanted to have anything to do with us, we had something to do with each other. And that means something to me. Them girls were my friends no matter how fucking low my life was. And I was their friend no matter how fucking low their life was. End quote. Richard also noted that the ghetto area of Jennings was rifled with crime. Drugs and prostitutions ran rampant, exasperated by corrupt cops who wanted a piece of the action. Since the early 1990s, there had been at least 20 unsolved homicides, which was a staggering figure given the city's small size and population. In 2007, Richard was arrested on the suspicion of having killed Kristen Gary Lopez. However, the charges against him were immediately dropped after it emerged that witnesses had provided conflicting statements. The defense was also able to prove that the police had mishandled a crucial piece of physical evidence, which led him to being set free. This mismanagement of evidence wasn't new, though. Shortly after Ernestine Patterson's body was discovered, two local men named Byron Chad Jones and Lawrence Nixon had been charged with second-degree murder in relation to her case after they were implicated by several witnesses. Despite numerous testimonies, though, the sheriff's office only tested the crime scene 15 months after Patterson was killed, further claiming that they had found no presence of blood. For many, this botched investigation was the main reason why the charges against Jones and Nixon were dropped. 
journalist Ethan Brown also claimed that several of the murdered women turned up dead after providing information to the police about the other victims. For instance, Muggy Brown, the fifth body to be found, was once interrogated about Ernestine Patterson, the second victim of the Jeff Davis 8. There was also allegedly a report that claimed she had spotted the body of the first victim, Loretta Jones, floating in the Grand Mars Canal shortly before she was discovered by Jerry Jackson, the man who had been fishing in the area. Additionally, detectives also interviewed the third victim, Kristen Gary Lopez, while investigating Lewis's murder. According to Melissa Daigle, Lopez's mother, quote, she knew what was going on. They were scared, them girls. I think she knew about it and was too scared to say, end quote. The idea that the women knew more than they let on was exasperated by a report that claimed that Kristen Lopez had been present when a local drug dealer named Leonard Crochet was shot and killed by the police in 2005. This led many to speculate that her involvement in this incident ultimately led to her demise. But Lopez's family members weren't the only ones who suspected that the Jeff Davis 8 had known more than they let on. Barbara Gallori, the mother of the last victim, Nicole, also claimed that her daughter had been extremely anxious and paranoid during the weeks leading up to her murder. In fact, Nicole had even reportedly refused to celebrate her 27th birthday, telling her mother that there was no point in buying a cake since she wouldn't be there anyway. She also sent her four kids to live with relatives, which many believe supported the theory that she had been living in fear of retaliation, perhaps from the individuals or individual who had killed the other women. Nicole's mother never bought into the idea of a serial killer, mainly because she claimed that her daughter had been telling them that the murderer had been a member of the local police. However, she rejected their pleas for her to come forward, saying that the situation was too big and that she preferred for her family to remain ignorant about what was really going on. In his investigative report, journalist Ethan Brown claimed that the families of the other victims shared eerily similar stories. For instance, Gail, the sister of Muggy Brown, purportedly told him that shortly before she was killed that she had confided in several relatives that she was investigating a murder with a local police officer who wanted to give her $500 to come forward and tell what happened. This led Muggy's family to believe that she had been murdered by a cop, which was corroborated by a witness interviewed by the task force who claimed that she said that three police officers were going to one day kill her. Ethan Brown further wrote that, quote, On May 26, 2008, the night Muggy's family saw her last, she seemed overcome with emotion getting on her knees and proclaiming to her grandmother, Bessie, I love you. There's nothing I wouldn't do for you and Jahim, her then three-year-old son. Bessie was touched by her spontaneous expression of love from her usually hard-bitten granddaughter, but was unnerved by it too. It seemed like a goodbye, end quote. For Ethan Brown and the surviving family members of the Jeff Davis 8, the women hadn't been targeted and murdered by a serial killer. 
Rather, they were brutally slain by a dirty and negligent police force who were willing to do whatever it took to ensure that evidence of their corruption never saw the light of day. This theory was made even more plausible in December 2007 when two female inmates in the Jennings City Jail sent word to Sergeant Jesse Ewing claiming that higher-ranking police officers had been directly involved in the covering up of the Jeff Davis 8 killings. This didn't surprise Sergeant Ewing, who was aware of just how corrupt the police department was thanks to how cash and drugs frequently disappeared from evidence. Knowing that the audio tapes of his interviews with the inmates could possibly vanish, he decided to instead send them over to a local private investigator named Kirk Meenard, who handed them to the FBI. However, this plan went far from smoothly. The audio tapes ended up right back with the task force, where it was quickly dismissed. Meanwhile, Sergeant Ewing was charged with malfeasance in office and sexual misconduct which he believed was in retaliation for attempting to get the feds to pay attention to the police corruption in Jefferson Davis Parish. It's unfortunate that the witness accounts never made it to the FBI's office, given how damning the accounts were. According to one of the inmates, a local prostitute named Tracy Chasen had told her that the pimp Frankie Richard and his niece Hannah Connor had murdered Whitney Du Bois after she rejected his sexual advances. This scenario was entirely possible since earlier that year, Chasen had confessed to being involved in Kristen Lopez's homicide, for which she was charged with second-degree murder. According to Chasen's claims, Richard and Connor had also killed Lopez, severely beating her before drowning her, which ultimately led to her death. This account was corroborated by the second female inmate, who stated that Connor had confessed to the murder while under the influence of crack cocaine. The inmates also alleged that Richard was in cahoots with the sheriff's office to the point that he had used a truck belonging to the then chief criminal investigator, Warren Gary, to transport Lopez's dead body. This allegation was in line with the fact that in late March 2007, Gary had purchased a Chevy Silverado truck from an associate of Richard's, who at the time was being questioned after being accused of writing bad checks. Less than a month later, he sold his truck and profited nearly 50% from the sale. Gary's purchase of the truck from an inmate was undoubtedly unethical, which was why he was fined $10,000 by the Louisiana Board of Ethics. Then-Sheriff Ricky Edwards supported him, though, insisting that they had no idea that the truck was a piece of evidence related to the Lopez murder case. However, this claim was impossible since investigators already knew that the original owner of the truck, an inmate named Connie Siller, had been one of the last people to see Lopez alive. To quote journalist Ethan Brown, put simply, the statements from the two female inmates portrayed Richard and his associates working with the sheriff's office to dispose of evidence in the Lopez case. Yet the sergeant who took the statements was forced out of his jobs and the allegations were ignored by law enforcement, end quote. 
From Ethan Brown's investigation, it's clear that the Jeff Davis Eight were the victims of something even more sinister than a serial killer on the loose. Despite these allegations and the evidence presented by Ethan Brown, whether the women of the Jeff Davis Eight were killed as part of an elaborate police cover-up remains unknown. It's likely that the truth will never be known, given that Frankie Richard, the pimp who allegedly played a key role in the murders, died on March 22, 2020, and took all his secrets with him to the grave. With the police silent on the case and unwilling to implicate themselves, it seems as if the Jeff Davis Eight and their families will never find justice. To see pictures of this case, the victims, and to take a look at sources used for this episode, please visit our Instagram page at crime.lab.podcast. I hope to see you in the comments. Let's talk about this. Believe it or not, this happens all too often. In the meantime, be safe out there.